0: It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.
1: Coming up on episode number 10 of an abbreviated edition of Sports Day Plus. It's pregame for Astros Rangers game 4 at 6:30. Before that, I'm spending a couple of segments with Justin Wells of Inside Texas talking Longhorn football, Rangers, Astros and more. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at CourtesyWave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Normally, you hear my next guest on Wednesdays at about 6.15 for a couple of segments because of the short nature of the last two days' worth of shows. He has joined me on Thursday this week. It is Justin Wells of Inside Texas and InsideTexas.com. Justin, thank you as always for the time. How you doing today?
0: I'm doing well, Mr. Trey. Always good to hear your voice. Always good to, to catch up with you, man. There's, there's a lot going on in, in, in college football and Major League Baseball and a little bit in between.
1: That's right. We're actually going to start with Major League Baseball because we are doing an abbreviated 30 minutes tonight with Rangers-Astros Game 4 happening on 1027 ESPN immediately following Sports Day Plus. Rangers lose not just their first game of the series, their first game of the playoffs and they kind of felt out of it from the get go, which is how these things go sometimes. But for you as a Rangers fan, you still feeling pretty good about the position that Texas finds themselves in, up two games to one, with Game Four happening coming up
0: at seven. I, I do, but you know, I I felt like this series didn't get started until last night. You know, I, I think Texas came out with with a lot more energy. And listen, they're a better team on the road. They're not great at home. And let's not forget, Houston is the reigning world champions and that they've been in this boat many, many times over the last five or six years. And so I that's what I expected. Honestly, I felt like the Astros were going to attack Max Scherzer. They were going to attack the, the zone. Um, and besides Texas, you know, putting up a pretty good fight in Leote Tavares, you know, robbing Jordan Alvarez of Alvarez of a beautiful home run. I'm not surprised that Houston did what they did last night, and they made it a series, and that's where we're at now. Yes,
1: it is. And uh, we have Andrew Heaney going tonight. He's likely going to give you three or four innings. You probably see Dane Dunning coming in after that. And really what it feels like to me as a Rangers fan is if Texas can win one of the next two games in Arlington – I feel pretty good about their chances of closing it out in either game 6 or 7 back in Houston but the question becomes can they win one of these next two games? Do you think that we see Texas win one if not both of these next two games in Arlington considering how dominant the Astros have been not just on the road but specifically at Globe Life Field this year?
0: I don't know. That's the that's that, that's why I, you know when they took two for in minute made I thought, well, that's the best they could have possibly done because they, they, they're they not going to get home cooking like they would hope. Um, obviously, the crowd at Globe Life has been tremendous, but Houston is a road warrior, and, and Texas just isn't that great at home. Heaney's going to give you three or four. Dane Dunning hopefully gives you another three or four. The the least amount you have to dive into the Texas bullpen, the better. And and, and strangely enough, Houston's bullpen has looked Relatively well, it's the starters that Texas had gotten to early in those first two games. And so it's really who's going to attack first. We've seen this is a great rivalry, even though it's been pretty much one-sided over the last five or six years. Whereas before that time, it was really one-sided for six or seven years towards Texas. It goes back and forth. But tonight, to me, is the game that's going to decide if this thing is going seven or not. If Texas wins tonight, I don't think it goes seven. I think they can grab one more in minute made. If Houston wins tonight, this thing's going seven hmm. and clinching in Houston is going to be the hardest thing this Texas team has to do in 2023. And so, I, man, I I'm, I'm eager because I just don't know. I, I think the bats are there. I think, I think the defense has been tremendous for Texas. I think Bochi is, is pushing the right buttons but like i've told many, many of my rangers fans after texas went up 2-0 guys this is a Nash, this is the world champs they've been in this thing a lot they 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 understand the experience factor they they're not phased and you're going to get the best from the houston Astros tonight for sure I almost hate to
1: say this because it is a bit of loser's mentality, but I think it's also the reality of what we've been watching with this Texas Rangers team this year. Like, Not only over these last couple of months have they gone very hot and then very cold at the drop of a dime, but they're also a year ahead of schedule too. Yes. So even if they were to lose this series, it's not the end of the world. And I guess I say that because hopefully those players – in a roundabout way, are thinking that too to kind of take the pressure off of themselves. Because I feel like the top of this order, specifically in this series, has been pressing a little bit too much. Like they need to do more to help elevate this team to victory when the reality is they just need to play within themselves and the rest
0: will hopefully take care of itself. So you're right. But also remember, like, the engine of this team is the top of the batting order. Yeah. Marcus Damian and Corey Seager have been the gas... All season long. Now the oil—that's been the starting pitching, and and, and the bullpen—that's been you know when you take it to the mechanic and you need a, a, a an overhaul <laughs> of sorts. Um, but I, I, I see where you're coming from, but I'm I'm telling you, like I think that's that's their identity. I think getting on guys early. You know the thing with Fromberth Valdez in Game Two was if you let him get settled in, you're not going to hit him you got to attack him early. And and tonight is going to be, I think it's going to be a slugfest. I think we're going to see probably double-digit runs. And it's nothing against Andrew Heaney or Jose or I'm just telling you, we've gone through the starting pitchers that are dominant. Now you're going to get some guys that you're just hoping to get three or four innings out of. I think it's going to be a slugfest. But Simeon and Seager are pressing a little bit, but I feel like that's because that's the spot they've been in all season. Those two guys – you're talking about two of the top players in all of Major League Baseball and batting average, hits, runs, on base percentage. Like that's, that's, that, they're the catalyst. They're the one that gets this thing started. And when Texas went cold in the summer, late summer, it was because the top of that order had gotten cold. Seeger had gotten hurt, was out for an extended amount of time. So I think that's kind of why you see that. Funny enough, I don't think Texas should have any of the pressure on them. They are playing with house money. This, they, they are a year away. This is not the team. No matter how good they look through the season, the playoffs have proven to us it's a completely different season. Like right now, I think the Philadelphia Phillies are the best team in baseball. Yeah. I think, and a buddy said, well, you know, before last night, Texas hadn't lost a playoff game. I said, Texas didn't have to go through Atlanta. Yeah. That was the best team in baseball. The Phillies have. The Phillies give me a, a Kansas City Royals vibe in 2014, 2013, when they went that first year, couldn't quite get it. And that next year, they were primed and ready to take it. I feel that way with the Phillies a little bit. And so they're an urgency mode. Texas is house money mode. Houston is holding on to the last remnants of that dynasty mode. You're still going to get altuve's best Jordan alvarez is is an alien that that's what Jordan. i learned that's what Jordan means in spanish alien <laughs> he, he's just from another planet and any you put the ball anywhere near the guy it's like carlos beltran in 2004 you put that ball anywhere near him and he's just gonna launch it um it man it's just such a fun series we knew it was gonna be crazy i've been a, an emotional wreck since it started but i've also understood Houston should win this series, should, should win this series. They have the, I think they have the better players. And I think they have the better experience, but Texas has the youth. And te- even though they're a year away, they're playing with house money and I don't feel like they should have the pressure on them. Houston, I feel like Houston's been there and it's almost an expectation for those guys. And so, you know, it's funny how that kind of stuff works. And the truth is pressure is a privilege, and, and, and if you're in that position and, and you're, you're, you're playing pretty well, you're doing some good things. I'm telling you, game four is going to tell us a lot about the rest of this series because I love where Texas looks when Jordan Montgomery comes for his next start and Nathan Avaldi comes for his next start. If they can get past this one where it's a Johnny Allstaff, that's that's where Texas, I think, takes on takes off that pressure. And if this thing gets back to Houston – of that pressure goes to Space City.
1: He is Justin Wells of Texas, InsideTexas.com. Coming up, we will talk Longhorn football, second half of the season, and the matchup with Houston this Saturday on Sports Day Plus.
0: It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.
1: Back here with one more segment with Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, hanging out with me for the 30 minutes before Rangers Astros Game 4. Pre-game at 6.30 here on 1027 ESPN with the game itself starting shortly after 7. Spent last segment talking about that series. And Justin, we're going to shift our focus now to Longhorn football, officially into the second half of the season with the matchup this Saturday against the Houston Cougars. We will get into the specifics of what the Cougars bring to the table. Not a whole lot of defense, some interesting things on offense. Before that, though, uh, what is your diagnosis of the first half of the Longhorn season? What did you think went well? And what is something that you think maybe uh, left a little bit to be desired?
0: What went well was um, the the execution of this roster, completing this roster, making it more depth friendly, putting more talent at every spot, making every position kind of an open competition, so to speak. To me, that's what we've seen. Sark has been doing that over the last few years. I think this is the season where we've seen that kind of come to fruition where all the all the things they had built up to. This is a really good team. You know, it's funny. I was talking to a source close to the program on Tuesday, still about the OU stuff, and they had identified like eight plays that if one guy does something different, does the assignment he's supposed to. I'll give you one example. The final drive for for Oklahoma, there was a play there where Byron Murphy went through the wrong gap. Mm. If he goes through the correct gap, Anthony Hill doesn't get bent around the edge like he does. He actually has a path closer. He gets to Gabriel, who had actually stepped up and hit a guy in stride for like a 25, 30-yard uh, catch. I think it was on a second or third down. If Hill gets to what Gabriel, if Murphy what? hits that right spot, boom, the, the game's over. There were literally a half dozen plays that if one guy does something different, Texas walks out of the Cotton Bowl with a win. Hmm. This team needed that loss though. I really think so. They were I'm not saying they're reading their clippings. I'm saying there were a few things they need to work on anyway. And the loss is much more palatable way to start figuring stuff out. And that means red zone offense, storing up the interior offensive line and getting getting their defensive guys in a in a more justified rotation because I think they play a lot, a little, with those safeties, and sometimes they get put in kind of bad positions. The good stuff is that this this roster is is great top to bottom. There's depth. There's a dozen guys on this team that are going to play in the NFL and some of these, if not more. The thing that leaves a a little bit of lack of desire is, as much as this offense can move, they get stalled out in the red zone, and that's an issue. They're one of the worst red zone teams in the country. They kick a lot of field goals there. And if if Burt Auburn doesn't kick three – Phil Golds. One, I don't think they're in the game as much. Two, if they score one of those touchdowns, they probably win that game. That goal line stand basically wrapped up that game, and I think that, in and of itself, that's what w- was left to be desired. This team ha- was right there with with. with a t- I don't know if they expected Oklahoma to come out as intense as they did. They should have. That team coming off a forty nine nothing loss came out on fire. Emotional. You saw the first six minutes was like a drug. Like I mean, it was an emotional high roller coaster. If they sustain that a little bit better, I think they're six and zero at this stage. Number three in the country going into Houston, but they got that loss. Now they have to to, to win out, or not necessarily win out, but they, they basically need to win out to probably rematch with Oklahoma in the Big Twelve championship. It's reminiscent of two thousand eighteen. Yeah. That Texas team. Went in there and kind of beat up on Oklahoma, a really good Oklahoma team. And when they played again, Oklahoma had a few wrinkles that were different. I, I kind of expect that to be the pattern um, for Texas moving into the second half.
1: Is there an obvious fix to you to the red zone woes, Justin? I know that you can point to some examples earlier in the year where it's like if Jonathan Brooks catches this ball or Xavier Worthy catches this ball, it is close to an automatic touchdown. But... You haven't been able to point to nearly as many of those examples over the last few games as they have continued to struggle in the red zone.
0: You know, Brooks has proven his mettle. He has proven he can run at this level and do it at at a very high level. I think he's running behind a good offensive line. I think he's part of a good offense with receivers that that have lanes open, and he's taking full advantage of these opportunities. I didn't know he was going to be the home run hitter he is. That being said, that red zone, that goal line stand, those are C.J. Baxter hmm. carries. There's a reason he's that big back, the 215, run between the tackles. If he's 100% healthy, I think Baxter gets those carries. I think he scores. Hmm. Brooks can do a lot of everything, but goal line hit a hole, especially when the, the interior is getting kind of pushed behind, that's asking a lot of Jonathan Brooks. And I think Baxter in that role, which he did that in the spring game, he did that in fall, and he also did that a little bit in the early games this season. To me, that that's the change there. You you want to you want to punch it in when you're down there, give the guy the ball. You know, Brooks is great at getting you down there, and, and Brooks can get it in the end zone too. Don't get it twisted. I think he leads the Big Twelve in, in total touchdowns. But let the bigger guy. The Cody Johnson style, the Henry Melton style, the the Chris Obananya style. Let that big guy come through there. And I think that fixes – and it's just a little fix. It's not like it needs to be reconstructed. It's just, there's a little tweaks there. If Cedric Baxter's healthy, that's the guy you want in that situation, not Brooks.
1: I constantly give you credit for being the first to tell people that Savion Red plays like a grown-ass man. Don't look at his diminutive stature. Even in high school, you could tell that guy had a ferocity about him. Is part of the red zone answer, especially in short-yarded situations, maybe rolling uh, Savion out there in that wildcat package?
0: Absolutely. But I think only... In spurts, because it reminds me of of Tom Herman and Sam Ellinger. If you do the same thing over and over on fourth down, guess what the defense does? (laughs) They tend to figure it out pretty quick. And that was one of Herman's uh, detriments. For Savion Red, the thing he needs is is just a role, because Savion is a dog. He is the essence of a dog. He's a multi-sport kid who played quarterback in high school, and he just – runs and plays incredibly hard and i think they found that role for him which is great and they've showed that that trick play with him i I love that when he's running running you know i think they called it red cat but i like to call it red alert when he made that pass to gunner helm i've seen that pass before i've seen him throw seams in high school he can do that and he can get you some extra yardage he's a guy that you need to package your plays for and so yeah i think that would be a, a nice wrinkle in there but not to overdo it because it doesn't take much of running one thing. And if Sark is anything, he tries to stay away from having tendencies. And I think that's why we've gradually seen more Savion Red and a few other players at this stage.
1: Yeah, with that Oklahoma game, that that uh that first and goal stand that the Sooners had, like I understand why Sark went with a jumbo package on first down, but after it fails on first down, It was a little bit disappointing not to see him spread it out because you have so many weapons all over the field, including on the outside, forcing OU to think about more, maybe putting a guy in motion. And if you want to hand it off again, you don't have every Sooners defender right there at the line of scrimmage with you too.
0: The jumbo package is essentially, okay, you know what we're doing, and we're still going to do it Yeah, because we're bigger. We're stronger. We're better coached. We're going to execute. We're going to run over you. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. On that particular time, Oklahoma had their number. I think, and even Sark admitted he would have changed the order of the plays. Hmm. The, the, the fourth down Xavier should have been the third down play. Uh, if you watch two of the fir- the first two plays, if Brooks follows Tavondre Sweat, he goes into the stands and gets a Fletcher's corn dog. <laughs> Nobody, he, Tremontee Sweat plowed the the, the 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 forest. Okay, he ran through people, and and Brooks may have just picked the wrong lane, the wrong time. And then at that one point, where Connor Robertson, the third string center, was pushed back into him, you'd want to change it up a little bit. And Sark admitted that. Man, that's what I love about covering Sark in this Texas group. He is so transparent. He is so honest and open about look, I screwed up. That sucked. I should have done this. I should have done that. We weren't used to hearing that from the head coach at Texas. We weren't used to seeing that. You know, I love when they asked him, what do you do on your off week? You know, do you enjoy your family? Do you know, get away from football? He's like, man, I watch football. I steal stuff. Every coach does it, but Sark admits it. And I love that about him. And I think he was very open when he talked about that series. And if he had to do it over again, I promise you, if that situation happens again in the big 12 championship, it's going to be ran differently and Oklahoma's not going to know what's coming.
1: Yeah. Something that may surprise a lot of people to hear, but a lot of good art is essentially theft. You can call it borrowing ideas, but it's also theft when it comes down to it. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. All right. uh, Quick prediction time, Justin, before I let you go, Texas, Houston, Longhorns, Longhorns, are multi-touchdown favorites. I believe it's more than three touchdown favorites right now. Should be a, and a half, 23 proud crowd day. as well in H-Town this weekend. What do you think happens with the Longhorns and Cougars on Saturday afternoon?
0: I think you're going to see a lot of points. Yeah, I think Texas will score more. Houston's got one of the worst defenses in college football. I think it's like 127th. I mean, it's bad. But Dana Holgerson's an offensive guy and they've got some offensive weapons and they've got a quarterback that's capable of doing some things. I think you have to keep him in the pocket. Force Donovan Smith to be a passer. Force him to be an actual quarterback and not a guy that gets away with scrambling on fourth downs like he did in Lubbock last year. I think Houston will put up a few points because I think they have some big play guys. And that's even after losing your you know a Marquez Stevenson and a Tank Dell and a Clayton Toon. Like they they've reloaded. And, and Houston's always going to have guys that can put the ball in the end zone, but that defense is bad. And so I feel like Texas is probably going to have an easier time. It, it it'll be one of those things. I like Texas 49 to 24.
1: There it is. He is Justin Wells of Inside Texas, inside the on Texas football YouTube channel. Thank you as always for the time, Justin. And go Rangers. Nothing
0: but love, Trey.
1: Thank you to everybody for watching. <clears throat> thank you to thank you to everybody for listening. Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros. Game four coming up next. Pre-game at 6.30. The game itself just after 7. Talk to you tomorrow at 6. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the night. And hook em. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie.